Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, 6 o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast. So today we're delighted to welcome along filmmaker and game developer Gethin Aldous. Gethin was co-director and executive producer of the work documentary and staffed group therapy retreats at Folsom Prism with Inside Circles, a Massachusetts correctional institution at Norfolk with the Jericho Circle. Really, really pleased to get the chance to speak with you today. Excited to be here. Hi, Gethin. Hi. Um, Yeah, it's very good to meet you. And thanks for giving us your time. Um, Gethin, you've been involved in men's work for over a decade. How did you first get interested in this field? Well, um, how did I get involved? Well, it took a friend of mine. A friend of mine did one of these men's weekends sort of in 2000, let me do the math, 2010. And then every time he saw me for the next seven years, he went, you should go and do this thing. Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Men are, um, men need to be sort of initiated into into adulthood um, is what he was telling me. Otherwise, they carry the sort of trauma of their childhood into their, trauma of their childhood into their adult lives, and it sort of plays out and it comes out sideways and it comes out you know in all these strange ways. Unless they go and do one of these kinds of weekends, and I was just like, "Shut up, dude! I'm perfectly manly and don't need to <laughs> do any of these such such crazy things." And then, as I said, like seven years later, one day I just woke up, literally bolt up right in the middle of the night. And I was like, whatever he's been saying to me, I need it. I need it now. And it was, it was sort of, I'd, I'd had a daughter maybe sort of, maybe um, a few years before. And it was just, yeah, I just realized I was a child and I needed to, I needed to work out what was going on inside me. What do you mean by that? I, I realized that I was still sort of coming from this really childish place in myself. Um, and I didn't really know myself. And suddenly, and that was fine when I was just responsible for me, but now I was responsible for this other sort of helpless human being. Um, it wasn't okay anymore. Good, that's helpful. So your film, the work, which is, of course, very famous within, I suppose, a circumscribed field, won a UK Grierson Award for Best International Documentary and best cinema documentary. So, I mean, I, I was pleased when I saw the name of that uh, award because I, I grew up watching John Grierson presenting a, you know, I think it was a half hour program on the BBC every week of very short documentaries. And I've hardly seen his name you know, since. So that was a pleasant surprise. Anyway, getting back to you, in this film, you depict group therapy retreats at Folsom iSecure Prison run by uh, Inside Circles. Can you tell us something about that and how these retreats are run? How they're run? I mean, they were start. I mean, how the whole thing sort of came about is one of these sort of weird sort of miracles of just, it, it's so unlikely. It's so impossible, in fact, when you go back and look at what, what how, how it came about. Basically, you know, there was a, there was a riot in Folsom. This guy called Patrick Nolan just woke up one day and said, you know, his best friend was killed in the riot. 
and he was just on his friend was on his way home and he just woke up one day and said there has to be another way and around the same time he was a poet and some of his poetry had been published in that so he's, you know, he's in, in prison for life and dying of hepatitis c it, it turned out um and a man on the outside read his poetry which was published in the local newspaper and was so blown away by it that he reached out and they became pen pals and this man was involved in the mankind project and men's work and so the two became friends and as they became friends, they, started, they sort of came up with this idea. And, and, and Pat was a, a white man in the, I think it was in the, the Skinheads. I don't think he was in the Aaron Brotherhood. But anyway, but you know, it's very, very divided by race mm -hmm. in the prison. And, but Pat was one of these guys, one of these few sort of guys who had the sort of charisma and the clout and the respect that he could sort of cross the gang lines. And he just started talking it up. And, you know, I'm going to go into the whole story because, I mean, it's just, it's a goddamn miracle how it happened. And then eventually they started getting more and more support from the outside. And then they were just doing weekly circles and a few guys were coming from the outside to hold the circles. And then someone came up with a crazy idea that they would hold a weekend inside, a weekend, one of these men's weekend, but inside the prison because it was a way of bringing a lot of experienced facilitators in. And then, and somehow the, the administration said, yes. I mean, again, it was bonkers. And they even said, yes, but do it in the lower security prison first. They had to go to Old Folsom and do it there first. And then finally it was allowed into the main prison. And then I think one weekend they just like, they invited a couple of people in who weren't experienced facilitators, who were just like regular folk. And that's when another one of the miracles that happened, where the, the, these inmates have sort of seen themselves as being told their whole lives they're killers, they're fuck ups, they're this, they're, they're you know, they're not worth anything saw that they'd done so much work on themselves by this point, they had the ability to help normal folk. And, uh, and then they started to see themselves in a completely different light. So, wait a minute, what? Did I just help this person? Am I actually uh, becoming a healer now? Am I actually becoming a person that can be a value to society? Um, yeah, and then they, just, they started doing these weekends sort of three times a year. I mean, you know, everyone's completely different and, and everyone is on a a razor's edge of whether it's actually going to happen or not happen. You know, they went to do the first one up since COVID recently. 20 guys flew in from all over the country, facilitators, all got to Folsom, ready to go in, and the prison said, nope, not happening. Which and is a very familiar dynamic. I mean, even as you were talking about how it got started, I was marvelling at, at that because, I mean, as you kind of allude to, the bureaucracy that you have to overcome to do anything that is just that little bit different to what is standard and routine within a prison, it just takes a mammoth of energy and resourcefulness to actually overcome the waves and waves of bureaucracy that are used to hold hold change back. Um, yeah, bureaucracy... You know, there's there's the there's the prison itself and the prison bureaucracy holding back. Plus, there's the gangs and the hierarchy of the gangs and, and their desire for you know, a bunch of people healing and not want to be gangsters anymore. It's not great for business. You know, so there was all these forces conspiring mm -hmm. against it, and yet somehow it survived. Not only survived, flourished. Yeah, it's miraculous. And it, and, and and you know, I I considered some of the guys who are part of that program who are out now. I consider dear dear friends, and then. The transformation in these men is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. So it sounds as if what you're describing is something which has an ongoing life. So there may be new people coming into each new event, as it were, but each event will 
contain some of the people who have been in previous events. Is that is that right? As facilitators. Yeah, there's a there was a regular crew of sort of main facilitators who did all of them who came back time and time again over twenty years. They were doing it, hmm. and um, pretty much all of them would pay their own way as well and flying from all over the country. And they would, I mean, the the crew of the the level of facilitate, facilitators they managed to get through the door each time was extraordinary. I mean, he was like the, the, the absolute cream of the crop. Um, he was just masters of this work, and then you know, and in time the. The inmates became the masters, so it was, it was a beautiful exchange of information and knowledge. Well, your film depicts that really well, actually. The kind of you know people who've been written off largely by society, and they're doing the, they're playing these amazing blinders of really sophisticated psychological moments of giving during the film. I think you know really really insightful having the ability to predict and recognise what's going to happen next. You know, I think it's one guy, is it Brian, when he's um, he's the target of of someone's anger um, during an intervention and, and people easily rally around and recognise that he's going to be hurt and feeling guilty and responsible and manage to head that off before it becomes something much bigger. It's, you know, throughout the film you see these moments. Yeah, they, I mean, it got to a point where to, to the, the guys inside, I mean, it was... You know, it was so valuable to them. So they, you know, yeah, they would go do anything they could to protect anyone who went in. Because that's it. One person gets hurt who's coming from the outside. It, that is it. It's never happening again. You know, so it's it's obviously a fairly tough setting, and, and some of the participants appear to look fairly tough too. Uh, do you think the toughness here, in a way, attracts some men to? join who who might otherwise not find their way to therapy yeah i mean that was the secret of the film as well it's like i've been trying to work out how to depict men's work in a way that wasn't you know a bunch of middle class white men sitting around crying like people probably aren't going to watch that you know it was but to see these men you know men that have killed men that have run gangs men that have done you know, despicable things, you know, um, to see them being vulnerable, to see them totally. And then, and then, yeah, what was happening is, is some of the shot callers, the sort of the, the people who called the shots in the gangs, kind of the head guys in the gangs, they were starting to go in. And yeah, and so I, th- I think that um, legitimised it massively. I mean, the fact that Pat was, who's the first guy, was, was so respected on the yard, that in itself legitimised it. You know, he could have conversations with people because he did, because he didn't respect. He was sort of a champion boxer on the, on the, on the yard. So he, you know, he 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 put in his time. He earned his respect. And so yeah, it was. There was a, there, when it first started, they were they would uh, in the prison they would call it hugger thug. So we just sort of they, at first it was kind of ignored by the heads of the gang. They they sent some guys in at the beginning just to sort of check it wasn't like some wheeling and dealing across gang lines that need to be aware of, and then they just. You know, realize it was just people being most oh god, they just kind of left it be. But there was enough, there was enough heavy guys in there that a legitimized it, and b it kept it safe, kept it like guys that people didn't want to mess with. You know, were in there, so it was sort of uh, to shut it down being a big deal. But I was curious about what kind of men outside prison would choose to to go and engage you know they've got all sorts of therapeutic options available to them haven't they if they choose to 
pursue those why you know why would they go and do therapy in a high secure prison rather than you know i, I mean one of the one of the individuals I mean, you that you're, at, you're looking at one of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah so why why was that appealing rather than going on a a, a different kind of retreat I mean, when they offered, I just said yes straight away. It just felt like, you know, I realized the power of this work when I did it. Like that weekend I did was transformational for me. It really mm -hmm. was. And that idea that I needed to be sort of initiated into my adult self um, really felt true. And it was sort of an energetic release. So it gets into, you know, it gets, we get into the sort of woo-woo with this stuff. Like it gets spiritual and it gets, you know, it gets, um, it gets into that realm pretty quickly. Yeah, there was just something in me that was just like, I need to go and do this. <laughs> just, you know, and I, I think there's part of it is, I can't speak for anybody else. I'll just speak for me. Like, I didn't think I was going in there to save anybody. Like, I know a lot of people do. They think they're going right. in to help save these guys. And then when they realize, they walk in, they realize, oh, shit. <laughs> they're going to make me look at myself. Um, <laughs> you know, especially when you come from sort of a therapy background where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to help you and I'm not going to reveal any of myself. And it's not how we roll. We're like, if you're come, especially the guys in there, if you're coming in, you better reveal all of yourself. We're not, you know, you're not coming to see the monkeys in the zoo here. Like, mm -hmm. they got even a sniff of that. They would like, get, get the fuck out of here. And so for me, it was just, it just, I don't know. It was just exciting. And it was, it was more exciting. I just got a sense of what it was and how deep they went. And I just wanted to, go that deep and, and, and know what that felt like. Um, and I'd seen a little bit of the footage of the film because they'd sent me some just to see. Actually, it's not true. I hadn't. I'd seen a tiny clip. I'd seen a tiny clip. And it was just enough to pit my sort of interest. Um, then as you're going through each sort of, each gate and <laughs> going deeper into the prison and sort of walking with the last, the last walk you do before you get into the chapel where they do the, the weekend is across, is basically across the main yard. And, um, and they gave us a little speech beforehand, like, don't, you know, don't shake someone's hand unless they shake yours. Don't hug someone unless they hug you. Don't, you know, if you hug someone the day before, don't assume you can hug them the next day because they went out to a war zone that night. You, you know, you went home and ate some sushi. Yeah, and so as I'm getting closer, 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 I can feel this. <laughs> God, what do I do? Um, and then I walked into the thing and the first person that saw me just is... Mexican guy just went, Welcome to my house, man. Welcome to my house. Gave me a big hug, and I was like, um, Yes, yeah, so I don't know. I can't really ask when else why people do this. Maybe they're all crazy. <laughs> well, at some stage, they probably think they are crazy, yes, because I think it's the first great realization in therapy. If you're lucky to get that far, you know, the oh shit, I've got to look at myself. I can't sit back and be my usual smug person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was so, I mean, and the, the, what, what, was, what was also remarkable in there, which was, again, no one realised when they started. But to survive in prison, you've got to be able to read everybody. They can read them well. Like that little eye flick over there, that's that guy who's going to lie to you when you walk out of the, the thing. That, that, you know, so you, this awareness of people's body language has to be so highly tuned. And so you then bring them into this sort of setting and it's like, quickly they can they're seeing the oh what's that emotion you just ran from there what's that little eye flicker that you just you're trying to hide from you know they you know they just turn that, that incredibly highly tuned sensitivity mm -hmm. 
sounds like being in a jungle really i mean i have to say so it's uh, a place where you have to be on the top of your senses all the time and i guess so from the evidence of the film the emotion in the uh, in the work that they're doing is very raw and uh, very deep so what was it like for you being there in the midst of all that your your initial involvement and the work that you did and then there's the work that you did as a filmmaker because yeah. of course you can't you can't be totally detached as a filmmaker in that setting either well just to be clear i didn't shoot this film this film was shot sort of six years before i found out about it and it sat in, and then the footage sat in a cupboard for about six years and, and it, they basically got stuck and then i was connected to them they invited me to come in to do one of the weekends. I went in, did my weekend, came out. And then they told me afterwards that basically that was a test. And they wanted to see if I had what it took. Um, and then they sent me the footage. And then I sort of took it over and I raised the money and built the team and we, you know, we sort of turned it into the film. But, but um, yeah, so there was there, there's two separate things. So me, me going into the prison was, firstly, disguising, but they said, basically, if you want to help us out, you need to go and see what we're doing. So that was where my yes came from. But then I went back four more times after that. And to experience that depth of, you know, it's all confidence in there, so I can't, I can't talk about my experience now, I can't talk about anyone else's. Um, but I, I experienced courage and, and depth of healing. And people who are basically prepared to say, I'm going to say something, and I know for a fact that you might kill me. Not like we say those things, like, for real, get killed for what he's about to, the person about to admit. But you know, but if I don't say, it, I'm going to die inside anyway. You know, so it's just this, this, this level of of courage which just rocked my world. It made me see all the places where I sort of stepped back because of, through fear, my own fear, my own trauma, and allowed me the the courage to step forward because I can remember what I what I experienced in that. I mean, it was. Indescribable, um, the level and the courage, and then for myself and my own sort of healing. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember at one point we you know we call it you know am, am I going to work this weekend? One of the sort of the, the, the parlance, and uh, I remember I sat next to some guy and I'm like, yeah, I'm probably not going to do any work this weekend. I haven't really got anything. There's nothing covered up. And like ten minutes later, I'm on the floor wailing. And it's just, <laughs> Bigger, you know, say just before I'm about to actually open up, and I and I did some my first weekend there. I mean, there was some trauma I've encountered around me most of my life, and it really impacted my life. And I put it down, and I don't think I picked it back up again. It was really, it was that powerful, and it was so extraordinary being in a place. And and I remember I was one of the inmates came up to me afterwards and said, he said you were. You were going sort of so deep into your emotions. I wanted to run. He said, but I stayed. And he was so proud of himself for staying and supporting me and being with me in my, in my work. But that was healing for him. That's the beautiful thing about it. Is it all? And then the deeper one person goes, and the next one suddenly has got the permission to do it. And then the next one's got permission to do it. And it just, it, it, this soup sort of gets created and it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. It's, you know, and you can feel it in the room. Like there's an energy. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's like the, the, the power of a container. But, you know, we're talking like 50 people in a circle. 
and the room can hold the so we, we do these check-in and check-outs with about 50 people that sat around in a circle and you reference in the courage but i think not only is there the courage of kind of like facing those emotion that emotion that's been sort of boxed off in such a deep deep way so there's, there's that level of courage but also there's another level of courage isn't there of actually putting putting your shit out there and let everybody letting everybody see it you know some of those conversations that are so honest and being willing for that to be filmed and being broadcast um you know is is adds in something extra as well well it's funny actually um there's two things there one is the yeah i mean confidentiality in those circles is everything you know for when for regular weekends aren't mm-hmm. it's it's life and death in there like and there's this real like they make a point and like do not speak about what goes on in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of the film, actually a few of the guys who got out now doing the film, and I was like, you know, I asked one of them, I said, oh, God, you know, I said the same question to you, my God, the courage, of, you know, putting this out there, and you know, people from the, your gang might see it, and repercussions. He was like, I didn't think anyone was going to watch this thing. You know, it's just like, they're just filming this thing, whatever, let film this thing. And, okay. you know, yeah. They had no, at the time, they didn't, you know, they were all in prison for life and didn't really, didn't really think it was going anywhere and didn't really care. <laughs> and then, and but, then the beautiful thing about it, this is where you sort of get into the spirit work, is had they, had they released the film straight away, I don't think it had the same impact. So it got to, you know, the fact that we could do the screenings and then guys from the film were out and could talk about their experience was was so powerful. <laughs> and then the, a, a few of the guys in the film have now, I mean, three of them are in the film of the four, are now running inside circles. So the organisation that was running the things inside the prison, mm-hmm. they got out and then they took it over. And so two of them are full-time doing it, two are, two are sort of part-time. Um, but yeah, now the organisation is, is run by the people who it saved. Fantastic. And I think one of the things that's captured really well in the film is how close to pain the aggression of men is. So even amongst the men who not imprisoned, um, and I just wondered whether our policies around crime and justice might be different if people, policymakers were made to watch the work and see that deep, deep pain that's there that's buried underneath the aggression. Yeah, I mean, God. Yeah, you know, until we start looking at all incarceration through the lens of trauma, it's just, we're just making it worse. We're just adding more trauma. My humble opinion is the, the legal system and the prison system and justice system is there to protect society. So you remove someone from society, they're a threat to society, and then you put them back into society and they're no longer a threat. Now, how do you stop someone being a threat to society? Do you stick them in solitary confinement for 10 years and deepen their trauma and let them live out in a gang and, and you know, do all the stuff that they do? Is that, you know, and then just in time, they'll just get old and tired and then you can eventually leave, you know, release them 40 years later and they're just kind of exhausted. And then, you know, or do you give them tools? Oh, we understand that you, you suffer some trauma, so it's okay that you murdered this person. No, it's, it's not okay that you murdered this You have to, you know, have to be accountable for your actions. And, you know, it doesn't serve anyone. This is sort of prolonged punishment, you know. And I think the whole thing of solitary is, you know, I've, one of the guys I know in passing just said, I did the whole 10 years of the solitary thing. That's a sentence that he said, 10 years, you know. And for some guys, yeah, solitary did work. It was sort of, you know, you know three, four years into the hole, they're just like, wait a minute. <laughs> one of my friends 
was looked around and Charles Manson was in the same solitary as him and had more freedom than him. He was just like, wait, someone wrong with this picture. <laughs> I'm considered more dangerous than Charles Manson. But, um, but it, you know, but imagine if they, I mean, if, if they'd, you know, in Folsom, in Folsom, they had to start releasing people because, you know, they'd, they'd stop doing the crime, just stop getting written up. So they, they'd move into a lower security prison. So, you know, there was this sort of, if they'd kept everyone there and just released everyone straight from prison, there'd have been a tipping point in that prison. You'd arrive there and there would just be this healing thing going on. You wouldn't even need any guards, you know, maybe a few, yeah. but, you know, but you have, you know, more facilitators than guards. You know, you could, you, we could completely change the culture. Absolutely. And then, and then when you do release someone from prison, you have to be excited about it because you know this person has done all this deep inner work um, and has got all this to offer our society is then released back out and it'd be like an exciting moment. Not a, not a scary like, ah, what are we going to do, you know? Absolutely. I mean, both David and I have run programmes in prison which were trauma-focused and I think what you see from doing that kind of work is actually how much that also contributes towards victim empathy because actually when the men are connected with their emotional selves then you know they find the work on them on their own offending behavior much more challenging because they're getting into it at a much deeper level because there's that sense of shit what must have the impact have been on my victim whereas i would say prior to that it can be done in quite a tokenistic way because they're so dissociative and so detached from from what they've done so actually offering people the opportunity to engage with their trauma and heal from that you know has the the, the offers the possibilities of so much more um in all the ways that anybody would want the justice system to work not just the being soft and being caring as it gets depicted but you can see from the film it isn't soft work is it i mean that's probably way more challenging than any of the sort of standard offending behaviour programmes that, that get offered within prison systems or certainly within the UK. And the funny thing about the, the, the programme is there was no, you didn't get any points for showing up. There was no yeah. points you could take to your parole board. None of that. They made a point of, you know, like, you're not coming here because we're going to, you know, to get someone on a piece of paper that's going to help, you know, I, you know. They didn't want that. But what did happen, and again, one of these, you know, they, these guys would go into the Pro Bowl and the Pro Bowl would see it. Yeah. They'd be like, eh. <laughs> you know, they're looking for this, you know, self-awareness. And they would get it in spades. And basically quite a few of my guys, the guys who got out said they would um they would go into the Pro Bowl and treat it like it was a circle. Just be completely vulnerable. Yeah. They just started letting them all out. And yeah, I mean, God, how do we, you know, how do we? I mean, it's so like even after everything that's happened in Folsom, even after all of the all of the positive things, for the administration to stop the first weekend after COVID, after three years of all these guys and everything they've gone through, to stop it for I mean, it was just over a technical thing. It wasn't, you know, it was just a, a bit of paperwork in the wrong place or something. Like, come on, come on! Like you know what this is, and if you don't, you should be paying more attention. Mm. So frustrating, but also such a common a common practice. But I think um, you know when you the, the fact it's a high secure prison, isn't it? The men that are featured in the film are all serving very long. So you know the, the phrase of seventy five years gets banded around quite a lot in the in the film. So they're all obviously there for very serious, violent crimes. Lots of 
former gang members, including those with histories of racism, so the Aryan brothers, for, for instance. But in the film, we see them demonstrating really, there's lots of really beautiful moving moments of love and tenderness. You know, Ricky, the um, former Aryan brother, who ends up kind of like really comforting a black guy as part of part of that. And I wonder how you think Inside Circles manages to bring out the best of people in this way. Are people approaching the with that openness and curiosity so it just happens to be at the right time or is inside circles offering something up that you know how do they manage to create that to create that sort of to make it that so willingness to be yeah, yeah well i suppose that people are opening themselves up to love ultimately i think is what happens in them that gets spoken of quite candidly at one point in the in the film but people are, are willing to be loving to be to drop their barriers to drop their hatred for others um and i think that's you know that's a really special thing that was achieved yeah i mean it feels you know to me it feels like all the all the sort of i think what quickly happens in a circle i mean i, I mean i do um you know i do this work with formerly incarcerated men in new york mm -hmm. and you know this this stuff around me being a white guy still comes up you know, still mm -hmm. trigger people, especially when you want to, you know, if I interrupt someone who, you know, I get excited about things, and I often interrupt people and I'm really trying to be better at that. But, uh, and, uh, you know, it's triggering. It's triggering. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, um, certainly what happened in Folsom is everyone just started to realise they have more in common than the, than the things that separated. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that was, that was the name of the game. It's like, why are we why are we killing each other because of our skin colour and rag colour and one of the prisons recently where there were like eight I think it was some Crips and there was something going on with the with the sort of Mexican gang and they released these eight guys out onto the yard knowing that they were outnumbered by um thirty or so of the guys from the other gang, knowing that there was this beef going on and just let it happen. You know, as almost like a, I mean, you know, we can we can all come up with our own theories as to why it happened. To me, mm -hmm. it seemed like it was a blood spot. It's like, oh yeah, this is gonna be some fun. Let's, let's let them go. And yeah. then, you know, the eight guys are like, oh god, we better attack them because if we wait till they attack us. We do. Yeah, we recently interviewed Isle Press um, about his book Dirty Work, and one of the things he focused on in that was this kind of like complicity with some of the horrific things that can happen in prison as well at times. And certainly if you've, if you've not read it, that's, that's really worth, worth reading as a book. But I think another, one of the, one of the techniques that gets used in the film is this, you've, you've kind of alluded to it already, how sophisticated the men are in terms of paying attention to what's going on in the body and that flash of eye, um, for instance, or expression. Um, but also in the film, I think what we see is how, people are aware of how much people's bodies are a key to to as a as an entry point to their stories so you know not just the obvious reflections on um eyes or posture but also understanding the importance of physically leaning into the body or the power of a soft hand touching the jaw at one moment you say um do you think the physicality of the approach enables something to happen that couldn't have if they relied solely on just talking and you know stayed within their own personal body space that's a good question. You know, this is where the, the sort of, um, 
I think there's advancements in what works and what doesn't. I mean, mm -hmm. what I'm super, super clear on is it's all stored in your body. Yeah. So it's all, it is all, um, I mean, what we do with all kings these days is, you know, we have a sort of our first weekend, which you know, does work like that, where it is big and it's physical and, and it's moving energy. Um, and I think there's immense value, immense value to that. And then there's other times when it's, there's, it doesn't need that. It's about actually going inside and feeling the sensations in the body and letting those sensations. All right. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling some incredible rage right now. So we have two choices. One, well, let's let that rage out and see what's on the other side of it, which is what you see happening in the film. And the other one is to, well, where are you feeling that rage in your body? I'm feeling it in my eyes. So breathe into that and see where that takes you. And so you, you know, there's a, there's an inward version and an outward version. And, and, I mean, for me, uh, I think a combination of those two modalities is where it's at. It depends on the on the person and what the, what they need. Um, some people just need to release. Some people mm -hmm. just need to cry. Some just need to rage out at this person that causes them, you know. But what what you know ultimately, what we're doing with that stuff is trying to get through the anger to see what's underneath. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the anger comes first and then the tears come afterwards. You know, it's like, right, what's underneath the anger? I just go mm -hmm. through the anger to get there. Sometimes you have to go through the anger to get there. Yeah, it just really reminded me of sensory motor psychotherapy and what, just what? thinking sensory motor psychotherapy, which is um, a really kind of, I'd say, very progressive, kind of like cutting edge therapy offered by Pat Ogden. Um, but a lot of that is about how to enter the body, you know, making use of the body to help people access their stories, to release the pain, you know, building on the idea that we store our trauma or even developmental histories within our body in terms of how we how we hold ourselves and how we carry ourselves. And as I was watching the film, changes a sensory motor psychotherapist since watching the film the first time. And so watching it again yesterday through the eyes of of thinking about things from that modality i was thinking what there's just amazing um examples of how that works in in watching this film so you know if people weren't trained in sensory motor psychotherapy that were running those uh, running those circles they're clearly embodying it in in how they're practicing and showing all this wisdom well it's funny because it, 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 as you're talking i was like yeah there was only really one person who was like the qualified therapist. And that was just a way of sort of legitimizing the whole thing. He didn't bring any of his uh -huh. therapy qualifications. Another guy who was like a trained hypnotist, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it was it was more that it was, you know, they brought a program in when they first went in there. And the, the inmates were like, well, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. That's well, that's kind of cool. That's bullshit. You know, so and so they 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 worked it out in there. And one of my one of my dear friends and and um uh who's a huge supporter of, of our organization all kings he um he he'd been going in there for 20 something years and he would then come out and he would do three a year and in between he would just analyze it. what happened what worked what didn't work without any of the constraints of sort of a, a board of practice mm -hmm. or a board you know it was just like let's just try and you know and so in, in that way it was an opportunity to really hone in on what worked and what doesn't work and it was you know the, the, the bullshit detectors in there is so high that you know they're not interested you know so yeah it's like if you come in as a therapist and i'm gonna reveal myself get get the fuck out of here it's not to me it's not where it's at yeah. it's like you know I, i've done enough of this i know 
the deeper I go, you know, into 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 my feelings and my 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 emotions, the more it gives everyone else permission. And I can still go into those emotions. I can still hold a weekend and allow myself to be completely vulnerable at the same time. It's it's fine. You're also speaking of the power of kind of like harnessing lived experience, aren't you? That actually people who who've been there and and got the t-shirt and kind of like they know what and that sense of knowing what you need you know the idea that that we do know what we need if you allow yourself to tune into it and be respectful of that well that's the whole thing in there is it is this but it's you know there's no guru the whole the, the whole you know the philosophy in there is all the answers that you need to every single problem in your life is inside you and we just got to help you access it that's it. That's all we're doing. Yeah. You know, we're not prescribing. We're certainly like one of the, the tenants. We don't give any advice unless asked for. So I'm like, can you use advice about this thing? It's like, okay, sure. I'll give you, you know, I'll project all over it if you like. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's all it's all in you. And so there's, you know, there's that energetic thing. There's the, 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 you're moving through the anger or the, to get to the sadness or the shame or the other things that sort of, you know, like so many of the men, it's the, the, as soon as you get anywhere near the shame, their own trauma that's when they kill that's that's yeah. the trigger yeah yeah oh, i don't want to feel that i don't want to feel that so let me just put a stop to that by you know shutting that shit down you know so there's that there's that sort of energetic thing then there's um you know then there's going inward and feeling the body and then this other thing which we've really been working on a lot recently which is parts work i don't know if you guys have done much yeah, yeah. yeah. like internal family systems yeah so, yeah yeah Internal family systems, and I'm going to say something which is, you know, is, is controversial, I guess. And, and uh, um, internal family systems, my understanding, it doesn't. There's when you do deep parts work, inevitably you're going to get, you're going to, you're going to work with a part, and every single part of you has a positive intention, even if it's completely ruining your life, even if it's making you 400 pounds, and you're just eating all day every day. It, that behavior would learn something, yeah. And so when we do this sort of deep parts where you sort of get to this part and you renegotiate with, well, is this actually helping this person? Can we, you know, but occasionally uh, you meet a part which does not have a positive intention. And so, you know, and we're still trying to work out the language around this because it gets, again, really controversial. But, you know, the part is not a part of you. You know, it's an energy that isn't a part of you. But somehow mm -hmm. it's attached itself to this. We have to sort of remove that, you know. And it gets sort of into the shamanic um, realm, but it's it's real. And you know, and these sort of external energies that attach themselves to people. Um, and again, I'm trying to I'm trying to work out the language just not to be like, oh god, he's you know, talking about. Well, it's it's difficult, isn't it? If you think about yeah. how and how what the therapeutic world so much. Um, so much of the dominance has come from from the West and initially yeah. throwing ideas out the window and dismissing as woo-woo things that now, like, you know, if you take mindfulness and meditation, for instance, now is really well established. But, you know, for many years, wouldn't have been, would have been seen as being a bit out there. Um, yeah in the in the west and you know we increasingly we understand that there is you know there's there is something about our energies um and how we are in synchronicity if you've got mainstream psychiatrists like dan siegel talking about the concept of we and the idea that there is no i on your own but only in relation to to others i think 
we lack the language to be able to take things further in some ways um, or get caught in this kind of like conflict of the needs of science or the need to have something tangible and proven rather than go with what we inherently know or intuit from um, our experience and that does make it hard to have conversations about this sort of thing without sounding like you're a bit woo-woo and and potentially having ideas dismissed um because it's just too difficult to get your head around yeah and i mean my my current sort of working thing is, to, is just to say well this is a metaphor so if we if we treat these as external energies and we use the metaphors to describe these external energies or you know call them whatever you like um and we run through the processes if they are an external energy um that's not a part of you that's somehow it's attached itself to you and often these energies come in when it, during a traumatic time in your life um then using those metaphors which may or may not be true um has an extraordinary impact mm-hmm. like amazing amazing incredible changes happen i mean i'm i'm a huge advocate of parts work now like I, um, we've got this again this same guy bill who's totally under the radar he came up with this idea of creating a sacred space inside you so and i don't think if um ifs does this but basically you you meditate down and you you with a facilitator will sort of help you create and you invite all of your parts into this one space so every time you do a session we just go down into the sacred space your parts are already there they may be you know something crazy going on and you just work directly with your parts and you create this sort of dialogue it feels sort of schizophrenic in some ways but you create a sort of um internal dialogue with all your parts and so as your little you know as your little girl or your little boy acting up what do they need? Is this, you know, and it, 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 it's the most incredible way of sort of regulating someone's internal world. Um, so, yeah, you know, we, 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 because none of us come from this sort of, don't have the, the you know, the, the medical board looking over our shoulders, we get to, we get to play. And if it works, we keep it. If it doesn't, mm-hmm. we, we That's fantastic. fantastic. But move, moving on a bit. Yeah. You, you know, your film is really compelling and actually I probably should also mention for listeners that you can find film on Amazon Prime um, so it is available to watch within the UK certainly um, but your film is really compelling and it and it captures what a difference hope and love can make so it's such a contrast with the kind of like salacious diet of horror that we're, we tend to be fed about prisons and especially American prisons you, know, you can almost smell the fear when you watch the Louis Thoreau programmes um, that go into American jails. Why why don't more filmmakers harness the power of these kind of emotions? You know, is is horror really uh, and hate really what we need to see, what we want to see? Because uh, it sells. <laughs> I don't know. It, but, I mean, it boggles my mind. I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I, I worked in video games for the last 12 years and, you know, I'm not going to talk shit about my former company, but you know, we put out we put out games that are, you know pretty violent, and they definitely have a some great character and story inside that violence. But still, and um, you know, yeah, how do we get this sort of language of healing and togetherness? You know, the, the, the part of the problem is it's not that interesting, which is why the work's such a great one because it's because it was these guys who there's such an edge to it. It, it sort of allowed us to, to 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 do things which might otherwise, as we said earlier, might be difficult to make entertaining. 
at the end of the day, TV and film entertainment, entertainment business, and you know, documentaries about you know wonderful mindful meditation program don't necessarily sell very well. <laughs> so, um, sorry, someone's messaging me, and I don't know how to don't know how to shut it out. Anyway, um, yeah, they don't really sell very well. So I don't know. I mean, it's this is just a this is a battle I have in my career. I mean, I've now left my company and set up a. A gaming company where we're trying to make games that, are, that bring the work into the virtual world, but in a, you know, in a subtle way. You know, I'm, I want you to eat the broccoli, but I've got coated chocolate. It's the, it's the analogy everyone likes to use. You know, so I want you to understand. You know, in the game I'm making, you're gonna the, the language of parts language is gonna be there. The language of, of healing is gonna be there. The language of of, of collective consciousness of trauma, all that's gonna be in there, but. It's also going to be a comedy, and it's going to be funny, and it's going to be lighthearted. It's just going to, you know, take you deeper and deeper, deeper the longer you play. Get this language into the mainstream. I mean, this was the the, you know, the first weekend I did. The thing that blew me away was there was this language, this language of healing, this language of sort of owning your own shit. This language is, you know, it's called Carl Young stuff. You know, the shadow and the, and the where's my shadow coming? Where's my goal? What's my, you know, what's my mission? It's the Kate Tempest. A line, every single purpose, every single person has a purpose in them burning. Look again, allow yourself to see them. You know, I love that. It's, we've all got something. And it's just like, so what, what can I do to help you access this thing that's burned inside you? And it might not be changing the world. It might be just gardening. It might be, you know, it might be very something simple. I think we've all got our role in the cosmic drama. And, and, you know, how do I help you access the thing? Because I feel if anyone, everyone I know who's accessed that thing that they're supposed to do, their life's beautiful. It's mentioned that, that having been a filmmaker, you're also uh, a video game uh, maker and that you've recently slightly changed direction And in that. What else do you do? <laughs> what else? Is, uh, I'm a big fan of Five Rhythms Dancing. <laughs> that's my that's my that's my sort of um you know the men's work and was circle works i do it with women too but um it's definitely one of my healing practices the other one is dance and movement yeah it's something i discovered about four or five years ago and it's, you know i'm in my 50s now and i, I want to be able my body to be able to move and i did a class this morning yeah like dance like dance like a lunatic for an hour and a half um but it's it's done in a sort of it's, it, they call it a movie meditation. Um, so yeah, it's something else I'm a, a big, big fan of. And especially when we when we start to do this deep parts work, um, the dance gives me access to my body, which is really, really helpful when you do parts work because then you can sort of you know become the feeling. You're feeling this thing, or become it, and then speak from it. And I find dance and, and movement, and also it's it's a wonderful thing for for human connection. Especially out the back of COVID, it was just like I just need mm. to be with people in this conscious way, and not like going to a pub and getting drunk, and not like you know. Until I found dance, that was the only way I could get that that sort of release. And now it's like, oh, I'm like, this. I can do this. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it does. You know, further indicate you know the broad range of your activities, and I think how you've developed your focus in such a positive way over the last. I don't know, what is it, decade or so? But you you, you were honoured with the Ron Herring Award, weren't you? Oh, yeah, the Ron Herring Award. Yes. So they, um, yeah, they just gave me that basically as I made the work. 
So the MK, MKP, they give out this award once a year for people who do um, nice things mm-hmm. that they think push this work forward. So, you know, you know, I'd much rather, you know, when a guy from one of our communities he comes up to me and gives me a hug and says, you know, this work's changed my life. I'll take that award any day over anything else. But it's hard to put that in a bio. No, my, but friend that's... Brian, my friend Brian gave me a hug the other day and told me I changed his life. Can I put that in? <laughs> But I think what a perfect way to finish off the conversation, actually, because you're talking about how that connection actually means more than a lot of the trinkets that people might end up with, with their, you know, during their career and actually that deep connection being so powerful. And, you know, it'd be great to talk with you about the film today and your work. Thank yeah, you. I just want to say one last thing real quick. That there's a, a guy came to us recently who was... It's one of our weekends. He was he was suicidal that morning. And he said, like, oh, fuck it, I'll go to this weekend. And he was going into prison sort of four weeks later. And I feel emotional just thinking about this. The way our community held that guy, loved him, supported him. Even now he's inside, he's done a year and a half. We're just, they're constantly calling him and writing him. It's just like this, you know, we, we've just created parameters for, that allow people to build a brotherhood. And a brotherhood where we can just love on each other and hold each other and support each other and it's just like god you know why are we not teaching this in school why are we not like like um uh i've blanked on his name but the guy you mentioned earlier who, who was going to write about all of the politicians that go to boarding schools and all the trauma they carry from boarding schools then plays out and so our societies are sort of driven by this trauma and it's like well imagine if all the you know corporate meetings start with everyone doing a check-in like well, okay, we do a check in and we get you know, we get emotional first, we deal with the emotions first, and then we get to business. Well, I think that would make a massive difference, wouldn't it? But I think if you you know, when you look at people who have a history of being in gangs, quite often what they've been seeking is that sense of belonging, haven't they? And the gang offers it in a dysfunctional way, whereas actually what you're offering with these circles is a way to connect and belong from a place that that's that's wholesome um and what you know what a nice nice alternative that is how powerful yeah that's a beautiful thank (laughs) thank you thank you gavin absolutely thanks very much indeed yeah it's been an absolute pleasure thank you thank you for taking the time